Live from the home office of Ag Solutions Network, it's the Ag Emerge Podcast. We're here to move the ag paradigm forward by helping you regenerate your soils using new ideas, research, and emerging technologies. Get ready to improve your soils, your crops, your livestock, and your family's livelihood. I'm Kim Sheese. And I'm Monty Bottoms. And we're your hosts. Thanks for joining us. Well, hello, and welcome to the Ag Emerge uh, podcast. We're happy to be in the studio today. Monty and I haven't been together for a couple of weeks, I guess. Uh, He's been out traveling and farming, and uh, we've had a lot of exciting things going on. So we're excited to be here in the studio today to talk with Brad Schmidt. Brad is both the member of the Heartland Heritage Farms as well as the Ducks Unlimited, uh, one of the Ducks Unlimited agronomists. So we're excited to have Brad here. I'm going to let Monty take it away and talk a little bit with Brad about what he's up to. Brad, I I really appreciate you joining us today, uh, taking time out of your schedule. I know you've got a lot going on this time of year. So thank you. Thank you for being here. Absolutely. Glad to be on. So for us uh, type A personalities, people want to get to the bottom line right up front and, and, and know that I'm investing the right amount of time for what I'm listening to here today. If there's there one thing that you really want folks to take away from this podcast today, I'm just I'm going to throw it right at you. What would that be, Brad? Just share one of those, the take home that you'd really like people to have. Um, I mean, I guess for me, it's listening to these types of podcasts and everything. You, you, you want to learn something at least one thing out of these out of these things whether it's you know something you already known before or something that's completely brand new to you and hopefully today we can bring something to the table that's a lot of people haven't heard before or maybe it's just brushing up a little bit on the past of, of something to kind of reinstate a little bit of fire and in, into somebody so hopefully that's kind of what we pick up on today so well, that's awesome thanks for letting me you know throw that at you right up front here but i i wanted to to back up a little bit and start from kind of the beginning. Talk to us a little bit about your story, your your family, and, and how you first got interested in farming. And, you know, even at a very young age, you know, 4-H, FFA, those kind of things, Brad, how did you how did you get started and, and interested in, in farming? You betcha. So um, I grew up, my dad was a carpenter for pretty much my entire life growing up, but we also had the family farm that my grandpa kind of ran. And he milked cows and always went to the farm and stuff. Always, that was my joy was going to grandpa and grandma's on the weekends, going to the farm. So um, I grew up as a young kid wanting to have livestock all the time. And um, what we got into was chickens. And I mean, from a young age, I was raising pastured, pastured eggs and selling pastured eggs at, I mean, age like 10 or 12. And uh, I did, actually did a research project on how much healthier pasture raised eggs were than um, store bought eggs. And I did that for 4-H and went to the state fair with that project and did pretty well up there. And I guess that kind of that kind of started the fire with trying to do things a little bit differently. I guess I always had that mind from when I was young. And, and how we got started on the cover crop path, I mean, it was, I went to college and didn't really know what I wanted to do for school. I mean, any like any other 18-year-old kid that goes to college, you don't know what you want to do with your life. And uh, so that's, uh, that's us old people still don't know what we want to do. Hey, real quick, I know why your grandpa liked you coming out to the farm if he had a dairy farm. Yeah, that, you, that meant you were the relief milking crew. 
That's right. That's and right. You still want to get involved with livestock. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure. We're going to pause this podcast right now. We're concerned about the uh, mental capacity and ability of our of our person. We're sorry that you tuned in today. No, I'm just joking. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> oh, that's that's right. Right. I mean that's Child hard labor. work. Uh, <laughs> doing a dairy. So. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so you went to South Dakota when you were 18. Didn't know what you wanted to do. Yeah, yeah, and transferred around a little bit, and and uh, and then finally came across. Uh, I think it was well, my fiance now, her grandpa had mentioned something about planting cover crops with an equip program, and I was like, "What the heck is a cover crop? Never heard of that before." And kind of did a little research, and I went to dad, and I was like, "Hey, we NRCS pays us to plant cover crops." I said, "That's pretty much free feed," and we sit here and start looking at it. And so that's kind of where we all got started. And I came across a video of Gabe Brown on, on YouTube. And, and so became my addiction with YouTube and, and uh, regenerative ag on YouTube. So, um, so through that, I emailed Gabe just out of the blue about six years ago. And, and uh, I said, hey, I want to get into this soil health regenerative ag stuff. How do I go about doing that? And he said, well, you can either get into seed sales or that's pretty much about it right now. <laughs> and uh, so... He's like, but I suggest you contact Dwayne Beck out of out of Pierce, South Dakota, Dakota at Dakota Lakes Research Farm, and so I shot Dwayne an email and and met up with Dwayne and and just sparked a fire from there, I guess. And I worked for Dwayne Beck for a couple of years while I was in college, and, and then after that, got a chance to go work with Dan Forgey at Cronin Farms in Gettysburg, South Dakota, and through all these guys, I mean, I've met people from all over the United States and all over the world, so. Um, that's how I got my job here with DU and, and, uh, being their head, uh, soil health specialist here. And, and then that's how we transformed everything on our operation as well. So, um, kind of bring it back to the background on our farming operation. Um, you know, my dad was pretty on board with a lot of this stuff. I mean, he was doing things differently in the carpentry business as well, building, building buildings with kind of insulated panels and everything rather than stick frame buildings. So we were kind of in the green quote-unquote green way of building houses and uh so he was pretty on board but then my grandpa i mean you see my last name is schmidt i mean it's it's pretty german and my grandpa's pretty darn stubborn so um he pretty much told us we could take that idea of no-till and cover crops and stick it where the sun don't shine and and kind of go from there so uh, we finally talked him into letting us do about 10 acres of cover crops and no-till and he said well, you know what? You're going to pay me for every single bushel that I don't get off of that the first year. Yeah. Now, I said, okay. The reverse on that, Brad, as far as he pays you for every That's, extra bushel. That, that was that was our that was our comeback for it. I said we were like, okay. all right, well, everyone that we go over, you're going to pay us then. And he goes, well, we'll just see how it goes. Oh. So, okay. so yeah, I heard that. Yeah. Too. <laughs> so we uh, we. Uh, He's, we asked him what he expected, and he sent 170 bushel an acre for corn. And, and that first year of our first no-till with cover crops, we were just over 200 bushel an acre, and he was about right on 200 for his conventional stuff. And we told him, we are like, we're not going to help you pick rock or anything like that, or you're going to do all your own stuff. And, and after that first year of we were doing a lot less work than he was, it just just clicked. I mean, he switched everything after that first year. So... So as ever since then, we've been 100% no-till and have diversified crop rotation, cover crops, and we graze our livestock on, on everything as well. So if you'd have told us we're, where we are now and in six years, we would have never guessed we'd be where we were now. So it's been a, it's been a pretty, pretty crazy ride so far. 
Well, that is an awesome, awesome story. And I, I'd, I'd like to backfill some, some details in there if you, if you don't mind, Brad. So when you visit with Gabe, he, he, uh, I'm not sure how much Gabe, I know you know him better today, but if, if Gabe told you to go to Dwayne, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's throwing, throwing you to the wolves right there, right? <laughs> Dwayne, Dwayne's, uh, Dwayne's known to be uh, pretty colorful and pretty direct and, that's and right. real, real pioneer. Uh, I've, I've had a chance to visit him there at Dakota Lakes Research Farm, and, and it's kind of fun whenever you can kind of get, get Dwayne back a little bit. You know, I, I saw him. They had some floor sweepings in the cover crop room, and they put him in a skid steer bucket, and Dwayne was driving me and his, my wife and I in his truck around the ranch, and they had the skid steer out and just you know, an adjacent field there. And a guy was shoveling. Oh, the yeah. seed and <laughs> out. I had a video of it and I said, well, here's the high tech uh, planting mechanism of Dakota lakes. And oh, man, <laughs> that, uh, that got him good. But, uh, oh, tell us about working with Dwayne at, uh, and you know, we, everybody gets to see Dwayne on the stage. You know, he's a great presenter and he's talking about the agricultural moonshot and, you know, 50 years from now, do you think there'll be you know, more or less uh, confined feeding, you know, in 50 years from now, do you think there'd be more or less water problems in 50 years, more or less energy problems? And he's, he's really looking long-term in systems research. So, you know, we all know that, that kind of side, what we see from the stage, what we see in newspaper articles, what's it like working with him one-on-one -on -one and the team there at Dakota Lakes and the just farm? Like, just, just like what you see on stage. <laughs> I mean, he's uh he he doesn't change at all. Doesn't change at all. I mean, what when you when you work with Dwayne, what you what you see on stage and what you get in real life is the same exact thing, same exact person. So that's why I think it's it's great working with him because I mean, you know what you're gonna get. You're not gonna get anything that's you know I'm gonna tell you this up here, but it's like this over here. No, he's gonna tell you like it is, and that's what I think I like the most about working with Dwayne is he he tells it like it is, and and I mean. Nine times out of ten, he's right. You know, take back anything that he's done in his in his career and what he's done. I mean, he's completely transformed the state of South Dakota and I mean, no tillers across the world. Um, I mean, he's he's the he's the king and he's the pioneer of no till. So, um, I mean, it's it was probably one of my it's one of the best mentors I think I've ever had in my career so far of, of working with people is is being able to work with Dwayne. Because, like I said, he's just, he's a phenomenal guy to work with, so. What are some, uh, one or two specific things that just really stick in your head from your time there with uh, him and the others at Dakota Lakes and the, and the farmer partners of Dakota Lakes that just still apply today in your family farm and also in, um, with your career at the Soil Health Focus with Ducks Unlimited? Yeah, I guess um, the Beckisms. I mean, everybody, everybody. <laughs> Everybody knows the Beckisms, and uh, I mean, they're just, they're common sense. I mean, it's a lot of what we do within the regenerative ag world and soil health is, it's very complex, as you know, Monty, but I mean, it's, it's, it's very simple at the same time. I mean, Mother Nature is very, very simple and easy to understand, and once you start to kind of break things down into a, a common sense standard, I mean, it's, it just starts to make sense, and I mean, there's one thing that my dad always told me to do is keep it simple, stupid, and uh, that's kind of kind of what I live after. Sometimes is just you know you sometimes you overthink things too much, and and working with nature, you really don't have to overthink as much, but you just have to think a little bit differently. So maybe what we've done is as uh, farmers and as an industry is we've made it complex, 
and and diverted further and further away from the natural system to where the 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 thought process is a larger gap today than what it was maybe 30 years ago to go back closer to what the natural system is is that is that yeah. a way to say that I, I would 100% agree with that because i think i mean what's happened is we've been given a recipe card on how to farm and we've forgot how to actually farm ourselves so I mean, we've been given that recipe card of here's your corn, here's your beans, here's the amount of fertilizer you have to put on to get X, 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 X. You got to put on this herbicide, insecticide, fungicide, all this stuff, and this is what you get at the end. And when you start to work with nature, it's it's completely different because, I mean, like this spring, for the amount of rainfall that we've gotten here in the Dakotas and southwestern Minnesota, down in Nebraska, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, I mean, it's there's no recipe card for that. You can't, you can't predict what's going to happen with nature. So being able to be resilient and being able to think what nature actually does and how you can actually work with that, it just takes a whole different type of management. And what I always tell people, I mean, it's, it's management, but in the definition of management, there's not quote unquote more work, right? It's more, it's not necessarily more manual labor for more management. It's just more of a thought process in your head and in your mind for, for management and how you, how you perceive that type of management. Excellent. Now, you, you talked a little bit uh, back up to your farming, your family farming story a little bit and no-till on, on Grandpa's place and, and getting equivalent yields with no-till as you did with conventional, with less labor, less inputs, all the fun stuff. I thought it was interesting how you said, uh, you know, Grandpa let you try 10 acres and then... Then they did. So I have a theory. All farmers are from Missouri, um, even if they're from California or Montana or South Dakota. They're all from Missouri. Show me, right? Yep. And, yep. <laughs> uh, that's what you did. Is you you showed them, and uh, and I think that's really valuable. And you know, our our team in California has uh, trying to help people adopt strip till. They've got the equipment, and the implements, make it available, show people on their own farm. Uh, other people in other parts of the country will um, drag a planter to a neighbor's or, or put, take their cedar to a neighbor's and just do side by side. Or one of our dealers in Montana will take the sprayer out and just spray a 120-foot patch and not even tell the farmer. And then all of a sudden, they'll have a big green strip out in the middle of their field. So, I mean, it's those kind mm-hmm. of things are, uh, are interesting to see. So, talk a little bit about where you're at today with that farm and, and what are some of the things that have happened since year two. Uh, in adopting cover crops and no-till years, you know, three through six now. Yeah. So kind of what has happened is, is we've figured out that we need more diversity. We need to go back to what we had um, back when my grandpa was growing up, basically, because we were like, hey, we're going to put flax in this, in this cover crop seed mix. So he goes, well, we used to raise flax. And it's like, okay, well, what'd you stop for? Well, I don't know. So um, a lot of the stuff has just been diversifying more because, I mean, Mother Nature had diversity. So we figured that we needed to have more diversity in our farm as well. And, and kind of like another thing, like I tell a lot of producers, is you look at Walmart and Walmart had to sell, you know, a pen and a stapler. How long would Walmart be in business for? They're not going to be in business for very long because they don't have that risk management. They don't have that diversity. So the same thing with farming is, we've, I think, as producers, we kind of, shot ourselves in the foot over the years of, well, we need to produce corn and beans, corn and beans, but we lost the ideology of simple supply and demand. And we've created so much supply that we don't even have a demand for anymore. We're trying to create a demand for something that we have way too much supply for. So 
um, that's we're trying to get out of that conventional minded system and and diversify more. So through this process over the last six years, we went from experimenting with just no-till and just some cover crops to now diverse species mixes of cover crops of 12 to 20 different species compared to when we first started we were at like three. Um, we went from corn and beans in our rotation to corn, beans, um, alfalfa. Our alfalfa is not even just straight alfalfa anymore. It's got all sorts of different types of, of other forbs and legumes and grasses in that, in that, in that forage mix. Along with, we raised spring triticale, um, cereal rye, spring wheat, oats, and a, and a few others as well. And then we'll also have our pig feed now because um, we started with, with just sheep and cattle. And because my grandpa didn't, lo- he didn't want to get rid of his cows. I mean, he had cows for for years when he was doing it, when he was doing his milk, and he liked his cattle. And my dad wanted to get into sheep because it was a little bit easier, a little bit cheaper to get started into into the sheep. And so we had already had a little bit of diversity in our in our livestock, but now we've got we've got pigs, um, chickens, and turkeys that we added to the operation here this last year as well. Um, and then on top of that, we've a lot like what you guys have done too, money in your operation is we've got our our direct um, farm to table meat sales and uh, and trying to give people a, a better product than what they can buy in the store. So um, we're we're trying to push back, push past that egg paradigm like we've always talked about, and and do something different and and try to try to be resilient and and the tough times. So over the last, uh, let's say, 10 years, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, you've gone from corn, soybean, milk as revenue streams to corn, soybean, and in a multitude of cover crop seeds. So you're talking, you know, flax, oats, triticale, barley, those kind of things as cover crop seeds to sell, along with the integrated livestock that you're probably grazing on some of those cover crops and, you know, early and then letting them grow up for seed. Mm Mm-hmm. So, uh, except for maybe pigs, because they'd be a little damaging, but you have the yeah. pork, uh, chicken, turkey, um, beef, and lamb products that you're marketing direct and, and capturing all the, the 100% of the value from from basically seed and soil to consumer. So, Correct. it may not be huge volume pounds produced, but the margin capture, instead of settling for 8% margin like most of us farmers are willing to, you're you're getting... Eight percent of the food dollar, you're getting hundred percent of the food dollar less processing costs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, we basically went from two or three enterprises to, I mean, almost eleven or twelve within six years. Um, so, and then a couple other things that we started this year um, is uh, solar grazing. Um, which a lot of people have never really heard of before, and this is something we actually just started this spring. Um, something brand new that we have started on our operation is a lot, of, a lot of these solar farms are going up throughout the throughout the United States for more renewable energy sources. Well, these solar farms, I mean, they have grass and forbs and all this stuff growing underneath them. So what we're doing is we've got contracts and stuff with these with these uh, energy companies to graze our sheep in these solar fields. So we're rotational grazing sheep throughout solar fields now. So we're actually we're we're being really efficient in uh, capturing these different types of renewable energies now. That is an excellent idea. Uh, in fact, we recently took our sheep and our bend site just to graze them around the bend site to clean up weeds and grasses and such. Works great. Uh, one note though, I didn't do it, but uh, don't graze goats 
around solar panels. They will eat the, solar <laughs> yeah. panels, the wiring, the, yeah. the metal, the everything. But yeah, anyway. yeah, yeah. The, the only <laughs> no, things. <laughs> The only things that they allow in there are sheep because, yeah, the goats, pretty soon you'll have goats running up and down solar panels. So. And, and cattle get too curious, too. So Yeah, yeah, but, they start uh, moving too much. <laughs> well, that's, a, that's a great way to, um, uh, to, to again, maximize uh, profit on that and, and get look at how do we have us harvest the most sun energy per square foot, right? So mm-hmm. they're harvesting electricity and you're harvesting chlorophyll uh, production at the same time. Exactly. Very great. So now um, you got all this going on in the background. You've got the um, uh, the the background and the inspiration from from the Godfather of No Till, right, Dwayne? And and you've got the family experience and growing up, and you've got the you know convention, pretty conventional, straightforward farm converting to you know multiple revenue streams, uh, focused on soil health, uh, vertical integration, and you know, getting more than just one crop per acre per year with what you're doing with the family farm. What kind of a background does that get you for your your other hat that you wear with uh, Ducks Unlimited? What kind of a background does that give you for then when you're working with other producers uh, across uh, the area that you're representing with, with DU? Um, what kind of um, Credibility does that give you, and what kind of problem solving does that give you when you're working with those producers by having that firsthand experience? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, that's 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 the best experience there. When you can, farmers like to talk to other farmers, and when you have that experience in the background, kind of like I like I have, and I'm still involved with it on a day to day basis. Um, it helps a lot when I can go talk with the producer and I'm not just blowing smoke. Like I'm actually, we're actually sitting there talking about things and, and I'm concerned about their operation and how they can make it better for the future and how they can continue to make money so they can keep on farming. So, um, it's, it's helped a lot. Um, because I mean, when I first started out coming out of college, I mean, I've talked with a couple of producers before I even started kind of working and stuff. And it was, it was difficult to talk with, with them because, they didn't really, I mean, anytime a young kid comes out of college, they oh, this kid thinks he knows what he knows, and that's, you know, whatever. And I'm not going to really listen to him. But when you can actually sit there and, and talk about problems that they're having on their farm, and, okay, I've actually experienced that before, and, okay, what are you saying? I haven't experienced that before, but what can we do to can kind of combat that issue here of what's kind of what's kind of happening? So having that background has been absolutely phenomenal with, with my job and working with farmers and ranchers all across the state of South Dakota and North Dakota and other places around the U.S. So it's been uh, pretty good. So I want to, before I turn it over to Kim here, uh, talk a little bit more about your role at Ducks Unlimited and, and what they're looking for and producer opportunities, stuff like that. I want to um, just ask you a question in regards to this spring, right? You alluded to it earlier. Uh, we've had record uh, moisture in almost all parts of the United States. So we've got 200 plus percent snowpack in California. The Colorado River Basin's had tremendous amount of water. You know, we've we're, the drought monitor has pretty much gone away on everything in the Great Plains. So, you know, the guys in Western Kansas, I was talking to them at uh, the six foot probe first time he can remember in over 20 years being able to put that probe in all the way to the handle mm-hmm. so we've got a, abundant moisture and in and then when you come east of the missouri river you know we've got swamp land 
you know, on delayed planting, a lot of prevent plant acres. And boy, as you get to central Illinois and east and Indiana, Ohio, what a mess. They, they, yeah. they don't have much of anything. So that sets the stage for this year and how resilient your system is and such. But talk to us a little bit about maybe what you were able to do. I, we, haven't, we haven't discussed this ahead of time, but from my own experience this spring on our farm, what have you noticed being able to graze cattle on your cover crops, uh, sheep on your cover crops? What things were you able to do this spring that someone else that's just in a uh, corn, soybean, wheat scenario wasn't able to do as far as having a profitable alternative and, and doing things with the land that others are just sitting there watching weeds grow? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's, that's probably one of the biggest benefits of, of having the cover crops in our rotation because having those cover crops that we planted last later later fall um kind of midsummer later fall we've had them come up and they're growing here this spring already and with those growing with those fall seeded um covers we've been able to take advantage of that and actually get some um, dollars in our pocket off of being able to graze those and etc cetera, etc cetera, which is completely different to somebody that doesn't have those other types of revenue streams like we have um, I mean, you kind of sit idle if you don't have that opportunity. And then on top of that, we can we can get in the fields and we don't get stuck as much. And and uh, I mean, we still you still spin out a little bit every once in a while in a in a in a wet spot. I mean, it happens. It's farming. It's nature. Um, but that, like I said, that resiliency in that and in, in that soil that we have now compared to what we would have had years past. I mean, there's no way we'd be able to farm if we if we didn't if we didn't make that switch six years ago. I should have asked this earlier, Brad, up front, but tell us where you're located and what the soils are like there and what your rainfall amount is like there. Uh, yeah, so we're located, our farm is located in southwestern Minnesota. Um, so if anybody's familiar with the area of southwest Minnesota, we're about um, a half hour south of Marshall, Minnesota, and about an hour and a half kind of north east of Sioux Falls so um, our soils are are your I mean your your clay loam soils I mean they're pretty they're pretty heavy pretty heavy soils um, and our natural have to still uh, run a moldboard plow there that's yeah. there's there's a few people that do which is oh, pretty okay. shocking but <laughs> um, but yeah our, our annual rainfall is in that 28 to 30 inches usually um, but the last couple years have it kind of trumped that quite a bit. I think last year we were creeping up around that 45 to 50 inches of rain. So wow. we had a we had a lot of rain last year, and it looks like this this year's going to be probably about the same. So, and then just to give an idea on maturity, because the Corn Belt kind of takes a sweep to the north, and when you come out of Iowa, in a typical year, what kind of corn hybrid day maturity are you planting there? Yeah, so that's been I got there's a few stories behind that. So. Um, one of the things that we don't have is like a dryer setup and, and storage and that kind of stuff. So we've had to always kind of forward contract what, what we're going to have at the end of the year and then and then bring bring our crops in as we harvest. And we found out early on that when we planted the normal varieties of our 100-day maturity, corn to 102, is with this no-till system, we're being able to hold so much more moisture in the soil that our plants don't mature as fast as a conventional neighbor would. So our 
percent moisture in our corn that we would harvest was a lot higher than than our neighbors would be so we would always take a pretty big hit when we took the elevator because we didn't have the ability to dry so we've dropped down to last year we were at some 98s and i think this year we're at some or like 89 to 90 day maturities um because so we're trying to combat that and we're still we're still a comparable yield on our on our 95 to 98s as the neighbors with the 105 to 106 day corn i mean we're still our yields are still pretty darn close to the same even though we still have a almost 10 days off our maturity so right okay well thank you for that background i i should have asked that up front but um that way people can have an idea of the context in in which you're operating but i'm you sure bet. you get to work with a, a wide range of rainfall amounts and and soil types with yeah. what you do with ducks <laughs> unlimited and, and plus if you were with dan forgy I've, I've been his place too I mean, he he's uh, he's on that arid line uh, yes. right there, straight north of Pier, and and so is Dwayne. And then you know, as you move west in South Dakota or you know Kansas, uh, Nebraska, what is it? Every uh, thirty miles or so, they lose an inch of rainfall, and uh, it's yeah. kind of thing as 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 you move that way, what happens? But yeah. Um, Anyway, I'd like to kind of turn it over to Kim now and have her uh, visit with you a little bit about Ducks Unlimited and what your role is there and, and, and how they uh, play into the soil health conversation. You bet. Well, I was just talking with Monty. I said, you know, uh, as, we were, as we were thinking about Ducks Unlimited, I thought, I wonder how many people would be surprised to know how involved Ducks Unlimited is in the soil health uh, movement or initiative. Can you talk a little bit about that and what you guys yeah. are doing? Yeah, you bet. So DU kind of started in, down this road. Um, it'd be probably about three years ago now. Um, I didn't even know they were involved with it either until I was in college. I was still working for Duane, and we came to a meeting with uh, some folks from the South Dakota DU, and they were interested in soil health. And I, actually, during college, I was helping them kind of design cover crop mixes and that kind of stuff. And and then after um, after working with the Dan and Dan Forgy up in up at Crone Farms there. Um, I was offered a position to to head up the DU soil health program, and we've been I've been with DU for two years now um, in July. So um, what DU has realized is that, especially in the Dakota region here, the Prairie Pothole region of of Iowa up into Minnesota, South Dakota, North Dakota up into Saskatchewan, is is that Prairie Pothole region, and the majority of the conservation that DU does relies on privately owned land and if we don't have a relationship with private landowners farmers ranchers is the majority of those landowners then we don't get to get our conservation work done and with this soil health program um, we hit everything that lands in farming and ranching because we're it's a we're it's a systems approach focus focused on soil first and everything else becomes secondary to the soil because if we don't take care of the soil first, we don't have profitable ag, we don't have we don't have livestock, and then we don't have wildlife. So I mean, if we don't if we don't take care of the soil first, we realize that we're not going to have ducks. So um, that's the biggest thing changing within DU is that we're trying to work with these work with these um, private landowner producers to to. Uh, get our conservation work done and help educate them as well on how we can help transform their operations. That's, that's exciting. And, and uh, it sounds like the reception for that has been good. But yeah. Yeah. So far it's been, it's been very well. It's, um, you know, it's, it, 
DU and the Dakotas didn't have a very good image I mean the past 10 years and then since we've kind of started going along this route that image is starting to starting to improve quite a bit so I mean it's it's been very good to to do that and um, other um, DU places around the U.S. are dif different regions are starting to pick up on this whole soil health thing and and they really think that it's 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 the future of of the company because um, what a lot of people don't know is that DU was founded in 1937 because of the Dust Bowl um, because of the problem with soil so right now we're going back we still have a problem with soil yet um, and it's 2019 so um, we're going back to the going back to the soil and starting to rebuild off of that yeah that's exciting it, it's good to to know that you can look back and see where you came from what your goals and objectives were and then also for us to understand that sometimes when we forget where we came from we forget why we got where we were where we were you know and so um, I'm glad to see those initiatives being uh, put to the top of the list again that's exciting yeah you bet it makes me wonder, as we talk about Ducks Unlimited, we talk about your farm, I'm excited to hear what is your granddad's enthusiasm level now? Uh, I see a lot of folks that they talk about that farming is exciting again, that there's things happening that, that they're excited about because they really can't be in total control of stuff, but they've got some choices. Mm -hmm. And I'm just wondering, because I feel like Farmers just, they never stop farming. They never, they're always involved. They're always looking for new and interesting things. So anyway, t tell us about what is, after you got him convinced that first year, what what happened after that? Yeah, so um, his attitude completely changed about a lot of things. <laughs> um, you still, we still get the stubbornness every once in a while. He still digs his heels on, some, on, on a lot of things, and, and he'll completely admit to that. Um, but then you kind of hear him talking to people behind the scenes and he's pretty excited and he, he, he has a huge passion for what we're doing now, which is, which is exciting. Um, I mean, he's like, we've had conversations with him and he's walked across the yard his entire life and we don't want him to stop doing that. Um, but you know, we just want to keep on progressing and keep on doing things better for the future of, of our operation and, and the generations to come. So, um, he's, he's been, uh. I mean, we would, we'd, like I said, we wouldn't be able to do what we'd done if it wasn't for him letting us experiment a little bit. So um, he's been, like I said, like and like you said, I mean, he's, he's excited to keep on farming and uh, doesn't want to stop, which is, which is good in some ways and not so good in others, you know. <laughs> well, you need to get, make sure he has plenty of projects that uh, are keeping him uh, properly <laughs> occupied. He likes to fish, he likes to fish and golf, so... Uh, we let we we send him out on those excursions now. He's he's deserved that plenty, and he gets to he might as well enjoy that now for a while. So, well, I, I the thing I love about agriculture and about farming together is the wisdom that gets passed down through the generations, and the fact that I feel like our our senior population of farmers are still important and in, involved, and they feel that way, and I think that's great because I feel like a lot of times folks, you know, outside of agriculture, they retire and then they feel like they've kind of been discarded. And so uh, mm -hmm. we don't have that interest in agriculture. We're interested in in that wisdom and, and those generations of folks working together. And I think that's a, a blessing and, and exciting to see. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, and for me, like, I don't want to reinvent the wheel. 
I mean, the wheel has been invented. I don't need to reinvent that. I just want to learn from everybody else that have done things in the past and has that experience. And, and even though my grandpa wasn't doing no-till and cover crops and stuff like that, back when he was growing up, they were still diversified and they still had all these different types of things. So, I mean, he's got a, a vast knowledge base that we can still learn from and just adapt that knowledge into something different. And, and I think that's reignited a fire in him because, I mean, he starts to remember, oh, yeah, we used to do that and this is what we used to do for it. And we can say, okay, well, how did that work for you then? Well, this is kind of what happened. We're like, okay, well, then we know kind of what to, what to base our decisions off of because of that. So, yeah, it's not completely bashing what the generations before us have done because if we didn't learn from those generations, we wouldn't be where we are today. So, I mean, it's I we still love having them around and and everything yet. So it's it's uh it's it's still good. So that's awesome. Keeps their blood pumping. We like that. That's right. Yeah. Well, it's been great to weave around through what's brought you to the spot, and you are a wealth of knowledge, and we appreciate getting a chance to talk with you about that. Yeah, absolutely. I noticed that Ducks Unlimited has a new market developing where landowners can become suppliers of environmental credits. And I don't know if that's something that you can talk about with us, but that's kind of an interesting uh, piece of information, I think, that folks might be interested in hearing about. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I guess I don't know a whole lot about that quite yet. It's kind of something new that we're, that that's kind of starting. So there's a few other people within DU that, that uh, have a little bit broader of a base of a knowledge on that. So, so I'd, I would say I would revert to them. <laughs> not some of those types of questions. I don't want to answer something that I'm not a hundred percent sure on. So. Oh, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> but I, I do think what it does speak to is that with these types of practices become, are coming new opportunities, not only through diversity, as Monty talked about, you having 10 or 11 different enterprises um, on your farm, but the different opportunities that we have as, as we change some of our practices. So I think that's exciting things. Mm-hmm. To look yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And personally for, for me on that, Kim, what I like is that is saying, okay, we have a certain segment of the public that is interested in the quality of life, well-being of our natural habitats, including ducks, wetland preservation, and waterfowl of all kinds. And they're saying, we're, we're willing to, because of that, we're willing to uh, vote for that. And they vote for that with their dollars. And then farmers uh, say, hey, I have an interest in that too. And I can, rather than maybe doing production agriculture or I can as part of an integrated rotation we can go ahead and put in there maybe a habitat rotation or, or a period of time that uh, a field is dedicated to habitat and in lieu of the cash that it would have gotten from growing a grain crop or grazing livestock or something DU is able to take those dollars that have been voted and return that to the farmer uh, to say, hey, uh, would you provide the habitat that we're looking for? Is that That's kind of the concept behind there. So rather than a government regulation behind it, it's where the public and private landowners are working together to solve a problem and do it probably more cost-effectively, more efficiently and quickly than, than what would happen with legislation. Is, is that a fair way to assess that, Brad? Yeah, I would say so. Because, I mean, that's, that's kind of the whole goal is we want to we wanna get everybody involved um, and have everybody's opinions taken up because I mean if we that's I think some of the biggest faults in a lot of our regulations and a lot of the programs that we have is is we didn't include everybody along the way we had somebody here that says okay I think we're going to make this for this for this group of people here and 
well, that group of people is like, well, we don't really like what you just made up with. You know, so I think if we have everybody that's included along the way and including everybody's opinions and that we can make some of these programs a lot stronger and more resilient for the for the future. So that's good. It really provides for um, if, if you take into account a, a diverse group of stakeholders uh, and get buy in uh, from that diverse group, it really does help uh, move things forward. Yep. Diversity is always better, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, we. um Appreciate you being a part of Aggie Merge 2019 there in January. We've got your videos are, are published on the membership site of the Aggie Merge website. Uh, did a nice job and those kind of things. I'd, I'd like to visit with you a little bit about what you what you learned uh, yourself personally, professionally, uh, and taken away or, or thought about or caused you to do something different this year as a result of Aggie Merge as a farmer yourself. I think the, the biggest takeaway of that of Ag Emerge was it's not like any other conference, Ag conference that I think I've ever been to before. The format and layout and everything was 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 very good. And then a lot of the speakers there, I mean, were just absolutely phenomenal. So, I mean, there was a diverse array of speakers from doctors to producers to people involved with different ideas that entrepreneurs, and we have that diversity there, you can always pick up little nuances of little different things. So, I mean, it's I mean, somebody once told me that if you, you go to a program and whether you think you know a lot of things or not, if you pick up one thing that you learn, I mean, it completely pays for that. So I think just picking up just little bits and pieces and adding them to the repertoire of what we can do, I know not only what I can think about or what we do in our operation, but how I go around helping others. Um, I think it's going to be a one of the bigger ag conferences to come in the future and I hopefully hopefully it continues to excel I mean I completely enjoyed my time out there and and being able to network with those with those folks and I think that's probably one of the biggest things is being able to network with people and getting one-on-one -on -one time with folks and being able to be able to converse and exchange ideas and everything and and uh, that was it was very very one-on-one -on -one and, and that was I really enjoyed that Brad, that means a lot coming from you because uh, I believe you and I suffer from a medical condition known as conference-itis. Uh, <laughs> it seems like, uh, I don't know what it was, last year or a year before, I bumped into you like at uh, three or four conferences in a row. It's like, yeah. oh, what, yeah. what, Brad's going to be here, you know, no-till on the plains and no-till farmer, <laughs> uh, various things. I, I just kept kept bumping into you. It was, uh, it was pretty funny. So, no, that yeah. means a lot coming from you because you certainly are on the, the uh, circuit uh, getting around to see different things. And, yeah, when we put Aggie Merch together, that was one of my frustrations is I wanted to be impactful. And, and I'd like for people to take away more than one thing, you know, uh, we, yeah, we want to have yeah. a little higher standard. We're shooting for two. No, I'm just joking. But, uh, <laughs> uh you know, we want to, we want to look at a, a broader array, like you said, from the medical community to scientists, entrepreneurs, farmers, practitioners, and those kind of things. So I, I appreciate uh, your thoughts on that. Now I, I've got one, one thing that I'm, I'm, I'm going to say, and I'm probably going to get in trouble for from the team, but that that's okay. Uh, I can leave and go back to the farm. But uh, <laughs> guess who you think is our headline speaker this year? Oh, I have no idea. He, he's from Pierce, South Dakota. Oh, you're having Dwayne come out, huh? Yep, Dwayne is our Perfect. headline speaker. Awesome, good, what, good. What yeah. do you think about that as far as uh, you've worked with him and put up with him? Uh, is that a good, uh, uh, how, how will that if somebody's listening to this that hasn't been Aggie merged before, <laughs> is that a reason to go? Oh, hundred percent. I'm making circuit as much these days. I think Ruth no. throttled him back a little bit, but he yeah. 
he gladly accepted our invitation. Good, good. No, that's that's fantastic. I mean, Dwayne Dwayne deserves it. He needs he needs some of that that getaway time a little bit and and kind of go out and enjoy the enjoy the nice weather in California and and everything and spend some time with Ruth and and uh, no, Dwayne will be phenomenal. I mean, I I I still even though I talk with him and work with him and I still look up his videos and still watch him on YouTube every once in a while just to get a good chuckle and and everything so I mean it's uh he's got he's an extensive amount of knowledge and like I said he breaks things down to the simplest form so anybody can understand it I mean he he'll use big words but then he'll break it that big word down to to I mean something that a a two-year-old can understand so I mean he's uh I I he'll be Absolutely phenomenal to have at Egg Emerge in, in 2020 there. So, well, I um I, I look forward to it too. I I've enjoyed getting to know him and spend time with him, and I think he'll he'll do a nice job of setting the the tone for the meeting like Gabe did this year. Yeah, uh, kind of that that big picture future looking thing, and and um you know I I really appreciate him being able to be there, and I appreciate your you know endorsement because I mean obviously. <laughs> You know him better than, than most of us, so that, yeah. that's wonderful. He he but gets he gets people thinking. I mean, that's that's the biggest thing. He he makes you think. I mean, he might he might say something great too, but that's, that's okay. <laughs> he might get you a little jittery in the seat, but that's all right. It makes you think, so that's it's good. It's good. Well, awesome. Well, Brad, I, I appreciate your contributions this year and, and sharing with us, and and certainly making time available today. It's been a wild year. And that's the art of farming, right? We need to Absolutely. know science, need to know the concepts. We need to um, network with people, learn from each other. But at the end of the day, we still have to do it no matter what Mother Nature throws at us, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And thank you guys for, for having me on and asking me to come out to Ag Emerge and, and speak out there. It's been, a, it's been a fun ride, and we'll continue to keep on pushing towards the future. So Excellent. Thank you, Brad. You thank have you, Brad. a wonderful day and a, and a great rest of the season, okay? You as well. Thank you, guys.